we have been discussing with the junior high and high school students uh, moving from darkness to light. There are a lot of passages in the scripture about darkness and light. It is a big theme that comes up over and over again. And uh, we've looked at a lot of those passages over the weekend. But uh, for this service, and as a final message on that theme, I thought we might look at a time in the future where by its light, and its light is the Lamb of God, the nations will walk. Uh, This is a passage from Revelation. Um, It's one of my pet peeves when people call it Revelations. If you're one of those people, um, God still loves you, but get rid of that S. Um, uh, It comes from John's Revelation. What we know about this is that John, a disciple of Jesus Christ, the last living disciple, was exiled on the island of Patmos, and he was in the Spirit. Uh, He was in the Spirit, and he was called into heaven. And much has been written, many, much ink has been spilled, and there are many opinions about what John sees here. And I, there might be very diverse opinions uh, even in this congregation as to what exactly or how exactly we should read the Revelation. But with that in mind, uh, when I was in seminary, a pastor came and spoke on, this, on Revelation, and he gave us this illustration, and I found it really helpful, and I thought I might share it with you before we dive in. Um, imagine, if you will, that you, your task is to, you're a missionary, but a very specific kind of missionary, and you are going to reach some people who have never had any contact with modern civilization, right? Those people still exist in the Amazon, uh, over in the Indian Ocean, and other places. There are some groups of people who have, they've never seen a car or a light bulb, right? They've never, like, they live in a very primitive society. And let's imagine for some, uh, for some reason, you have been selected to go and to speak to those people, and as you learn about their culture and their language and what they, you know, call, you know, boys and girls or men or women or, you know, animals or plants or the rain or water, you know, all the basic things in life, uh, they begin to ask you about your, where you come from. And it's your task to describe to them your place, your place of origin, right? And remember that you have to describe it in their language, so imagine for a second what it would be like to describe electricity to people who have never known what it is. Um, imagine how wild that would be. Uh, it, it, here's how it might go, right? You would say, well, in our villages, we have this, you can't say current, so we have this spirit. We have the spirit that runs through our villages. Uh, it runs through um, vines. It runs through vines, yes. Uh, all the huts in our village are connected by vines. And these vines, uh, the Spirit runs through that. Now, where does the Spirit come from? Good question, sir. Uh, it comes from, um, well, you can't say generator. It comes from a really big heart that pumps, right? And when, when that heart is given, well, you can't say oil. And when that heart is given blood, it pumps, and the Spirit travels through the vines to our huts. And, and wind that gets to our huts, uh, the vines are connected to little uh, eyeballs. Little eyeballs that we have all over the top of our huts. And those eyeballs, when the spirit is pumping, when the, when the heart is pumping and, and the spirit is coming through the vine and they're connected, those eyeballs shine like the sun. Now, is that how electricity works? Some of you engineers in here and science people are like, get this guy up here immediately. I don't know what he's on. But remember, right? 
yes, it is kind of how electricity works, you know, but it's also not, right? I want you to remember something every time that you read the book of Revelation. This is an important thing to remember. John is trying to describe heaven using our vocabulary, a primitive vocabulary. So let's be very careful. We have to be very careful about taking everything he says very literally, right? When, so, when he says someone is covered with eyes, we don't, you know, in our mind, that's like, well, that's really weird. Who knows exactly what that means, right? But we can learn a lot about heaven from John's experience. And what I'd like to do this morning is just two things. I don't think I will take up the normal amount of time. Um, I try to be brief is I just like to look at what John doesn't see in heaven. John mentions five things that are not in heaven, which is interesting. He says, oh, there are five things that I would have maybe expected to find there or that we have here that are not there. And then secondly, I'd like us to look at what makes heaven heaven? What makes it heavenly? So first, five things that are not in heaven. First, look with me in verse 22, the very beginning of our passage. He says... I saw no temple. I saw no temple. Um, I remember, I, I'm, I'm Presbyterian. I'll just let that out of the bag right now, all right? Don't run away. You know, it's hard to spell. It's hard to spell. You know, we're weird. <laughs> um, that's fine, we are. We're very weird. Uh, you can call us as weird as you want. I would agree with most of it. Um, uh, fun fact, uh, <laughs> Uh, the word Presbyterians uh, is an anagram for the name Britney Spears. I don't know what you want to do with that, but it's true. You can look it up later. Um, these are the... <laughs> I don't know what that means. But, uh, <laughs> but when I, I grew up, I didn't grow up Presbyterian. Um, I grew up uh, Southern Baptist. And I had a very typical Southern Baptist upbringing. I went to Disciple Now, like many of these students. Right? I wore the t-shirt. You know, I kept my leader up at night. Um, you know, doing unspeakable things. And, uh, and I remember that, uh, that going to church, I, my parents were converted after I was born. I remember a distinct difference between when we didn't go to church and now all of a sudden we did go to church. And that, that's really, that was my understanding at my young age of their conversion was like, okay, well, we used to not do this and now we do it. And that's really all I understood at that point. But I also remember that... Um, that the pastor would talk a lot about that we're going to worship in heaven. That we're going to worship for eternity. And as a little kid, I was like, is there another option? Like, wait, we're just going to do this the whole time? Uh, this doesn't seem... What, what are the, is there another tract we can go on? Um, I've got good news for you. If, if, you've, if that thought has crossed your mind, one, you're not a heathen in any way. Um, that one of the things that we see is not in heaven is religion. There is no religion in heaven. There is no temple, right? Everything we do will be worship. We'll come back to that in just a second. But there is no temple. There are no religious practices. I had someone explain to me one time, what is Christianity? Well, uh, Christianity is not a religion. Uh, a religion, all the religions of the world basically say this, here's what's wrong with you. And here's what you can do to fix it, right? Do this, you know, whether it's Judaism, Buddhism, uh, Islam, whatever religion you want to choose, basically it comes down to this premise. Here's what's wrong with you. 
and then here's what to do to fix it. Christianity is not like that at all. Christianity says, here's what's wrong with you, and you can do nothing to fix it. You can do nothing. You, you, you could never even, even, you couldn't even begin to fix it. But the good news is, is that God has said what you can't do or what's impossible with man is not impossible with God. I will fix it for you. I will walk through the pieces two times, if you remember uh, the covenant in Abraham in Genesis. And so there's no religion, in, there's no sacrificing in heaven. Our sacrifice has already been made. Our, we have one sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And so in that sense, there is no religion in heaven, but there is worship. You know, worship is not just what the guys that were up here, the band was doing. Worship is everything that we do. Worship literally means to assign worth. Right? That's what that, that's, it, it comes from the word, the word worth, worth-ship. And so to be in heaven is to do everything to the glory of God. There will be work in heaven. Right? I know some of you think that no, there's no way. Not my kind of work. Well, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what you do. But, uh, but there will be work in heaven. But all of it will be to God's glory. So there's no, there's no temple the other thing that John knows is there's no sun. Now that is really weird. I don't know if you've ever really considered it or not. But just think about how important the sun is. We really take it for granted because we see it every day. But think about it. It is the source of life for this world. If we were, you know, a few miles closer or a few miles further away, we would either freeze to death or burn up, right? So it provides life for us the, our world literally revolves around it. I know some of you teenagers have been told your by your parents, you think the world revolves around you. Well, the sun, it's true of the sun. The world literally revolves around it, right? It is our ultimate point of reference. It's how we tell time, the day, the month, the year, right? But in heaven, oh, also we can't look at it. We can't, it's too powerful for us to look at. We have to... You know, when there's the eclipse, you got to put on those weird glasses. Y'all remember that? I think it passed. Did totality pass over y'all? I think it did. Um, or close to y'all. Uh, we did not get totality or whatever that means. But um, in Alabama, it's fine. But we were still up there with our glasses. Like, look, you know, um, just a bunch of rednecks. Like, <laughs> um, It's okay. We own it. It's fine. It's fine. But in heaven, in heaven, God is our point of reference. Not the sun. The sun is not there. Everything revolves around God, around the Lamb. It says, there is no sun or moon to shine, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. So in heaven there's no temple, and there's no sun, and also there are no shut gates. Look in verses 24 and 25. By its light will the nations walk, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and then there will be no night. We'll come back to that night in just a moment. Its gates are not shut. We live our entire lives in fear of being exposed. Look, I know that I don't know you, but we can be honest for just one second, if you don't mind. You know that nagging feeling that you have that comes up every once in a while? Where you're like, 
I don't really know what I'm doing. And I'm kind of a fraud. Not kind of a fraud, a huge fraud. And I don't have it together. And I'm really worried that people are going to find out that I'm so messed up. That, that, that somehow my fig leaves will not cover me. And I will be exposed. I, I have that feeling. Uh, I have good news for you if you have that feeling. First of all, God doesn't want you to get it all together. God is in the business of taking broken people and putting them back together, right? But in heaven, there will be no fear. We won't shut our gates. We won't lock our doors. Think about how much you do that is motivated by fear, right? I mean, I had like an existential crisis about what to wear this morning because I've never been to this church, right? Now, at my church, we wear a robe, so it's kind of settled for us, right? And I asked Andy, I said, should I bring my robe? And he was like, definitely don't do that. Um, <laughs> it would have been hilarious to do that, though. Um, the, uh, bring like a gavel, too, like I'm a judge, like just ruling people out of order, like, you, you, you know. Um, what, but why, why, was I, why, why was I like having this concern, right? It's because I was fearful about what you would think of me. Think about, I mean, for junior high and high school students, guess what? You will never grow out of this, by the way. <laughs> All your, the adults right now are like, so glad I'm not in junior high and high school, whatever. They still do this. Think about how much you do just because you, you're afraid that people will judge you. How many times have you said to your parents, we're the only ones who have to do this, right? Because you don't want to be exposed. But in heaven, there are no shut gates. There's no fear at all. I can't even imagine what that would be like. But also, this shut gate situation, not only does it mean that there's no fear, but also there's no division. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And then later on it says, and the honor of the nations, that all peoples will be in heaven. All peoples. There are so many things that divide us. I, I um, operate in a context where there are a lot of, uh, of, of schools in Montgomery. Uh, for a lot of reasons that I'm not going to get into, there are a lot of private schools in Montgomery. And when I first got there, I've come from a very small town where there was just one public school, right? That was it, and everyone went to it. And, you know, the, the mayor's daughter and the senator's daughter and, the, you know, and the councilman's son and the janitor's son, right? They all went to the same school. And I get to Montgomery and I start to, to do ministry. And uh, my students, uh, they're very divided about where they go to school. Some people go to Christian schools or to not secular schools or, you know, and they all, you know, the parents are all very defensive about how they raise, how they educate their children. Some people are homeschooled. Some people go to classical school. There's all kinds of divisions that go on. And what's so funny about it to me as an outsider at the time was how similar everybody was, right? How similar they were. I went to one game. We had players playing for both teams. Both teams were private schools. Uh, both of their colors were red and blue and white. Uh, you know, they, they had, their teams looked almost exactly the same. And it was a middle school game, so they had like the, the old jerseys that are no longer, they didn't even have the name on them. I didn't even know what team was, which team was which, right? I was like, no, I think he goes, you know, I was new, I didn't, I didn't know. But when I hear my students talk, they're like, well, everyone goes, that goes to MA is like this, or, or everyone who goes to Trinity is like this, or, or everyone who goes to St. James is like this, or everyone who goes to Eastwood is like this, or everyone who goes to Lamp is like this. And they've got, they're all, I was like, guys, I was like, y'all realize y'all all look exactly the same, right? And yet, 
they, if we will divide over such minor differences as that, think about the major things that we divide over. I'm not even talking about whether you say Roll, Roll Tide or War Eagle. That's a big deal where I'm from. But I mean, political divisions, racial divisions, all kinds of divisions, none of that is here. In heaven, all division has ceased because everything is centered on the Lamb of God. There is no fear of being exposed and there is no exclusivity. There is no fear of being exposed. There is no exclusivity. Uh, Fourthly, look in verse 25. In verse 25, it says, and there will be no night there. There will be no night in heaven. No night. Uh, I don't know how it works in Missouri, but everywhere that I've lived, you have your trash cans in your house, and then you have uh, the bit. I call it the dumpster. That's not what most people call it, but you have like the rolling trash can. It's typically green in our neighborhood, and uh, some of them are pink, or you know, I think you can pay for different colors to go to some charitable location or whatever. But um, I don't even think recycling has made it to Alabama, guys. I'm just going to be honest. I think we just burn all our trash. But um, <laughs> y'all are like worried about the environment. And we're like, set it on fire. The, uh, but uh, <laughs> the people in Missouri will take care of all that. The, uh, but, <laughs> but we have these rolling dumpsters. Y'all have those here? Is that, is that you, and you, you roll it out to the street? Now, let me ask, the, the adults have experienced this, but let me ask the children something really quick. If it is nighttime, if it's at night, and your parent says, hey, will you take the trash to the street? When you roll your trash to the street and you get it to the curb, do you just kind of casually stroll back to the house like this? Or do you set a land speed record, right? That would be an elite, you're like, you're just like, like you know, we're, oh, it's the second one, me too, right? Me too. Why, why is the night so scared? Why are we so scared of the night? Why are we so scared of the dark? First of all, remember that the people who are listening to this for the first time, they had never seen electricity either, right? Imagine how frightening the night was. It came every 12 hours. And there was, you know, no light. Why is it frightening? It's frightening because we don't know what is out there, right? That's why you run back from the dumpster to your house, right? Just in case there's some kind of killer or bear that's waiting to get you if it's a bear good luck you will not outrun it um the uh it's, it's frightening i used to this if you've never thought about this and you read at night this is going to mess you up but i don't care you can just join me in my terror i used to sit with a. I mean i'm sure kids use phones now but i had this tiny flashlight when i was a kid and i would uh, lay it my parents would let me read until i got sleepy um my parents would let me read at any time. They were like, reading is never not allowed. So it was probably good practice. Um, and so I would lay in my bed, and I would have this flashlight that I'd just stick on my shoulder, and it would shine on the book that I was reading, right? But I always had this terrible fear that when I lowered the book, that there'd be like some face looking at me, right? <laughs> if you've never had that fear before, you will have it now. I'm sorry. <laughs> but... In heaven, there is no night. And you know what that means? There's no uncertainty. There's no uncertainty. There's no wondering what is going to happen. There there is no fear 
because there is no night, because there's no uncertainty, because we are redeemed in the blood of the Lamb. We have a perfect relationship with God, so we don't have to wonder what our status is. There's also, fifthly and finally, there's nothing unclean, detestable, or false. There's no more reason in heaven to lie to impress people. Many of us do this all the time. And maybe it's not an outright lie, but we, we lie. Or, or, or we, we, we live our lives in hope of impressing people. There's no reason to be embarrassed or ashamed. Because there is nothing unclean, detestable, or false. And if you're hearing my voice, you definitely know what it's like to feel ashamed. And that is gone. That's, that's not present here. Look, there are probably people here in a room this size who have had detestable and false things done to them. And one thing that you desperately need to hear is that in the presence of the Lamb, that doesn't happen. Instead of someone who abused you or used their power over you to hurt you in some way, we have the ultimate power willing to die and be sacrificed for you. There's nothing detestable or false. So those are the five things that are not in heaven, okay? Those five things will not be there according to John, um, according to God's word. Well, what makes heaven heavenly? It's not streets of gold. It's not angels sitting on a cloud, hitting a harp or a lyre or whatever. Um, the people who are not musically gifted, they're like, well, we, you know, will we be in pitch and tune you know, in heaven? Um, no. What makes heaven heavenly? Look in verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. What makes heaven heaven is God's presence. God is there. Uh, there's a passage in Exodus 33 where Moses and God are having this conversation. And Moses' biggest concern is that God would not go with them anymore. And he even says to God, if, do not send us away if you will not go with us because who are we if we're not with you? Their very identity was God is with us. Right? And that's a heavenly principle. What, what does it mean to be blessed? Right? I, I, you know, there's a lot of college football coaches where I come from. There's a college football, it's kind of a big deal down there. And uh, there are certain coaches who, every time they win, they talk about how blessed they are. They never talk about when they lose, right? They never, they never mention it when we lose. When they, what happened at the end? You lost the game, 65 to nothing. We're, we're just so blessed. They never say it then. But when they miraculously win, all of a sudden, we're just so blessed, right? I'm always a little distrustful of the preacher coaches um, for that very reason. Does being blessed mean that everything works out for you? That you win? That only good things happen? Wrong. Incorrect. Don't take my word for it. Just read the Bible one time and think about 
all the people that God called and that he walked with and that he blessed and all the hardship that they had to endure. There is a reason why every time God calls a prophet, the prophet is like, oh, I can't do it. I've got like this sock, these socks to rearrange or, you know, like I'm not very good at this. Or, or maybe there's somebody else. God, every one of them, every one of them, these biblical heroes, Moses is like, well, I don't speak well. I need my brother. I need this. What if they don't believe me, right? Jeremiah, Isaiah, all of them, they don't want to do it, Right? Because they know that hardship is coming. Everyone in the Bible suffers hardship. They don't, it's, the health and wealth gospel is a lie. I will just tell you that right now. I, I feel free to say it. There are people who make lots of money and lots of notoriety preaching a health and wealth gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel is not that everything will work out for us. It's that in the valley of despair and also on the mountaintop of triumph, God is with us. That's what it means to be blessed. Whether we lose or win, whether we are in sadness, whether the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places or whether they are making rows or plowing our back. In either instance, what it means to be blessed is to be with God. What is Jesus' promise to his disciples before he leaves? Everything's going to be great, guys, and you're never going to doubt. No. He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What makes heaven heaven is that Christ is with us. We are with the one who knows us fully and yet loves us fully. He knows all the worst parts about you. He knows everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever said, everything that you've ever done. And yet he still looks at you and says, I will die for you. (laughs) That is good news. Let me close with this. My son, uh, my younger son, my older son is starting to become cool, so um, I'm, he, I'm not as important to him. Um, uh, but my younger son still loves me. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and when he sees me, when he sees me, if I make it home tonight before he goes to bed, when he sees me, even when I call, I've called every day this week or multiple times each day, he goes, Daddy! And when he sees me at church, I've, I've got him dressed this morning, or I'll get him dressed in the morning and I'll go to church and my wife will follow a few minutes later because um, I have to be there early. And he'll come and he'll see me down the hall. We saw each other 15 minutes ago and he's like, Daddy! And he runs to me, right? And it's such a great feeling, Right? It's a great feeling to receive it. He runs, he jumps in my arms like, you know, like he hasn't seen me in years. He's so happy just to be with me, to see me again. That is what heaven looks like. The question that you have, and I can't answer this for you, but, but I am going to ask it, is, is that how you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus or do you just know about him? When I was a kid, we collected baseball cards. I try not to make fun of what kids do because when I think back at the things that we did, they were pretty dumb. Um, you know, I look at like Pokemon or like, you know, Fortnite, and I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, but I don't want to judge it because, you know, we did some pretty dumb stuff. One thing that we did is we bought these little pieces of cardboard, and we were like, this is worth $50. <laughs> No, it's not. Um, No, no, I have a book here that I also bought that I have to buy every year that tells me how much it's worth. 
um, baseball cards. On the back of baseball cards, on the front, there's a picture of like the batter, you know, an action shot or a, a pose shot of the pitcher or whoever. Um, I have a complete set of 1989 Upper Deck, by the way. It's like somewhere in my parents' house. So that's, what my, that's my retirement. That's what I'm going to retire on. <laughs> That's a joke for older people. What that means is, is that used to be worth like $300, and now it's worth like $10. So anyway, um, but on the back of the baseball card was very interesting. On the back, the, the more nerdy people could uh, see like all the stats, right? Uh, for every year, even the minor leagues, what, what was his batting average? What, how many home runs did he hit? How many RBI did he have? How many times did he steal a base? How many strikeouts did he did he get? What was his ERA, his whip? What was, you know, it's all these stats. And you, even the nerdy people, especially the nerdy ones, I'm not saying whether or not I was one of those people, but I think you can probably figure it out, um, is even the nerdiest people, they, they would like memorize, right? Oh, in 1997, he had 31 home runs, but in 1998, he had 42 home runs. You know, we would memorize the stats of the baseball players. We would know, we'd be able to recount you know, everything statistically about their career. But, did we know them? No. One of my favorite baseball players, uh, I went to Mississippi State, so some of my favorite baseball players are guys who went to Mississippi State, guys like Will Clark, Bobby Thigpen, Rafael Palmeiro. Um, and Rafael Palmeiro was one of my favorite players growing up. Um, and, you know, when I was in... When I was little, I could have rattled off for you many of his statistics. But if I were to walk into the clubhouse, wherever he played, and I said, oh, hey, Rafael Palmero, he would be like, I don't know who you are. But if his mom came in, or his son, or his dad, or his brother came in, even though that person knows none of the statistics, he would immediately recognize them. Now, you may come to Sunday school. Good. Go to Sunday school. It's good for you. It's good. You may catechize your children. or do we, that's, We're big about that. I don't know if you know anything about us, but we love catechism. Um, you may catechize your children. Good. That's good. You may tithe. Do, do that. That's good for you. To, rem, to remind yourself that nothing you own is really yours. You know, you may go on mission trips. You may come to Disciple Now. Good, do those things. Expose yourself to the gospel as many times as you can. But never, never for a second think, and hear me, never for a second think that knowing about Jesus is knowing Jesus. The most chilling passage in the scriptures is in Matthew when Jesus, when people come up to Jesus and say, we did wondrous works in your name. And he says, I don't know you. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but I don't know you. Do you know about Jesus? Good. I'm not interested in you knowing about Jesus. I'm interested in you knowing Jesus. Only you can answer that question. I will say this as a moment of hope, is that for those of you who know Jesus, you don't have to know anything else. You don't have to know anything else. That is all you need to get to this place that we've been talking about. 
And if, if you know him, being in that place and with him is all that you will ever need. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word because your word is truth. And we pray that you would sanctify us in it. Lord, we have grown far too accustomed to the darkness. And we are unsure about this true light from heaven. And there may be many people in here who have hung out on the fringes of the light for many years. But they don't know the light. And they're not in the light. Lord, bring us to the light. Only your spirit can change our hearts. Only you can reveal yourself to us in such a way that we would, that we would really believe that we are fully known and yet fully loved. Lord, we pray that you would do this in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen.